Tom Bearhart, and this is Kirsten. Say hello, Kirsten. Howdy. And behind the camera, we have Ricky. Say hi, Ricky. Hi, Ricky. And welcome to this episode of the International Geek of Mystery show. The subject of today's show is what does the post-pandemic economic model look like versus the pre-pandemic economic model? Why are we here? Where are we? Where are we going? What is the point of all of this? Because clearly things are changing. My wife Rose and I went to dinner the other night to a restaurant that we've gone to a lot over the years. It's near our home. Nice little Italian place. The owner of the restaurant greets people as one of the servers who pops in and out of the kitchen. And besides that, they had three staff out in the restaurant. They probably had more back behind. Is this more of like a ma and pa restaurant or is yeah, it like it's a very chain? Much a, it's okay. very much a ma and pa restaurant. So, which tend to be a little bit smaller to right. begin with. Before the pandemic, there were always five or six right. wait staff. You know, this time there was three, and I think one of them was also doing other jobs. Okay. And this is typical of what the post-pandemic economy looks like. People will go to their restaurants, and they'll, they'll, there's fewer staff, there's fewer servers, the menu is reduced. Mm -hmm. Like my favorite breakfast place around here, they don't have my favorite breakfast anymore. So it can't be your favorite breakfast place anymore. Well, and, and that's true, and I'm looking for another one. But the point is, is that they couldn't afford anymore in this economy after surviving the pandemic. And I'm grateful that they survived the pandemic, not just because I like their food, but also because, you know, I know the owner because I've been going there for years. And all of the people, all of the servers, a lot of them are back, a lot of them are not. But you go to these places and what I see is frustrated customers mm -hmm. because they're not getting their food as quickly as they used to get their food. Maybe their food isn't exactly right. Maybe their favorite dish isn't on the menu anymore. And they somehow feel entitled to something that they used to have that they no longer have. And there, there's an expression, if I can remember it, to the entitled, Oof. equality looks like persecution. Mm. That's heavy. Right. And so they feel persecuted because they're not getting the preferential end of the stick that they used to get. Well, when you went to this breakfast place and they didn't have your favorite breakfast anymore, what was your reaction? Well, I tried a few other things and I was disappointed and I may have expressed my disappointment, but I'm not going to be rude to a server. Right. I have been a server <laughs> and I know what that's like. And I've been in service jobs when I was younger and dealing with the public sucks already. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel entitled to add to that. I don't feel like it serves any purpose to add Correct. to that. It only pisses people off. These are also the people who are taking care of me. If I piss them off, they probably won't want to do that as well. And they're also handling my food. Yeah. So I, I never, <laughs> ever, ever other cross considerations that line. there. And I've seen what goes on in kitchens and I've seen what goes on. I've seen how that sausage is made, so to speak. <laughs> What all of this is getting at is that before the pandemic, people were in these jobs because they needed to be. And they kept these jobs because they were tied to their income, tied to their benefits, their health insurance, all of this. And during the pandemic, they realized that without these jobs, life went on. Absolutely, it's sometimes it harder and it sometimes leads to opportunity and it sometimes leads to tragedy. 
but life goes on. It does. Well, for a lot of people during the pandemic, of course, life did not go on, but that had more to do with the virus than it did with the loss of jobs. So this leads me to discuss something that I have called for many, many years. And I've thought about all of this for many, many years. And what is going on today is something that I actually predicted but I didn't predict that it would happen this quickly. <laughs> it's well, the I, twilight zone. I predicted zone. it because uh, market conditions were pointing to it. And not just market conditions, but social conditions were pointing to it. So the before economy is what I call, not very delicately, slave wagery. Or, or wage <laughs> slavery. I said it backwards. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to say it over again. Wage, wage slavery. slavery. Oh, let's all say it in unison. So what wage slave or what wage, you're just cracking me up here. And that's sorry. I'm so sorry. Let's all take a moment and enjoy Kirsten. Wage slavery. (laughs) Pull it together. Wage slavery is the effect that if I have a job and that job provides me everything that I need to survive, income, health insurance, and that income translates into being able to take care of my family. Perhaps I have a partner and children. In my case, I have a wife and children. And all, if all of that is, is dependent upon my job, I cannot leave my job. They can treat me unfairly. They can abuse their authority over me. They can demand that I work extra hours without pay. This is what we call salary work. And your salary, because you you wanted that because it gave you security. Yes. In general, salaried work, the employers take advantage of their salaried staff. I try not to do that with you. (laughs) But employers take advantage of their salaried staff by making them work extra long hours. We were talking in another episode about Elon Musk and Twitter, you know, making them sleep at, at, at work to get their job done. And... They know that the employee cannot leave because if they leave, they lose their income. They lose everything. They also lose their health insurance. And the whole other side of this that nobody ever talks about is if you have somebody at home who's caring for the children, who's caring for elderly parents or whatever, the caregiver, often the wife role, takes care of the house, cooks, cleans, takes care of the kids, drives them to school, drives them to, the, to their appointments, does all of this, is actually working harder and longer hours than the employee partner who has a job and is earning the income and the health insurance. That other partner who does all of that extra work, our economy has traditionally valued that work at zero dollars. Correct. That person, not only does that person not earn any money, But after doing that for a number of years, if they find themselves back in the workforce, they have a gap on their resume, the the dreaded gap on the resume. And what have you been doing all this? Well, I've been, you know, I've been a housewife. I've been, you know, taking care of my kids. Well, so you haven't been working? (laughs) No, I've been working my ass off, but (laughs) nobody's been paying me. (laughs) So that whole model, all of that together is what I call wage slavery. Did it. Or the way we say it today, slave wagery. Slave slave wagery. (laughs) Shout out to all the stay-at-home parents because I've been there. I've done that. I've got the T-shirt. Not on currently, but... No, that was a T-shirt we were wearing yesterday. Yeah, for real. (laughs) But 
just props to anybody that does it and gets absolutely no credit, absolutely no recognition. I mean, because I've, I have been there and because of you and because of this opportunity, I'm able to do both now. And so, it's been so incredible. What Kirsten's referring to here is that when I found Kirsten and she was looking for a, an administrative assistant job, which is her primary job uh, with me, she needed something that she could do full time that would pay her full-time wages and allow her to work from home and stay at home and take care of her kids. And it absolutely made my heart leap with joy to be able to provide a job like that because I'm helping to turn around a little bit and not entirely because still you're not getting paid for the, all that work you do with the kids and everything, <laughs> but helping to turn this paradigm around. And this paradigm needs to die. It needs to go away. And it will. And I've been predicting this actually for decades, but I didn't think it would happen this quick. What's happening in this economy since the pandemic is that people have realized that the only thing keeping them in slavery was this idea that they needed it. Yes. This idea, this fear of losing the job and the health insurance and all that. And during the pandemic, the economy forced their hand. Many, many, many people lost their jobs during the pandemic. And many, many people ended up on public assistance, or worse yet, because of how public assistance is organized, not qualifying for public assistance in spite of the fact that they had zero income. Because most public assistance is what we call means-tested. And means-tested means that the government will look at your tax return for the previous year and based on that, decide whether or not you qualify for assistance this year. And if last year you earned plenty of money and this year you're out of work because your employer went belly up during the pandemic, that means testing no longer works. And there's a lot of reasons why means testing doesn't work. In general, it's a horrible idea. I, I understand like the general concept of it though. Like when it was conceived, was it, it, I mean, it was for, it was an attempt to help. And I feel like now because everything's kind of like the assistance is an attempt to help. The means testing is an attempt to limit the number of people who are qualified to receive that help. And in my view, it, it's all based on the false assumption that people are lazy and greedy. That, Most people are not. But exactly. So tying back into that, you know, with the wage slavery, people are walking around seeing, you know, help needed, now hiring, all of these. And, you know, I feel like the first thing to fall out of people's mouths is nobody wants to work anymore, you know? And it's almost like, it's very like Scrooge and bah humbug. Right, and, right, oh, right. you know, nobody wants to earn. But and the, the, the fact is that nobody wants to work those jobs exactly. anymore. Exactly, that's where I was, because <laughs> took they, it right out of my brain. Because they well, know. Well, great minds think alike, right? Thank you. They realize that those jobs are pain and suffering mm -hmm. in exchange for, for bare sustenance. Bare minimum. Right. The bare necessities. And, and, and not the good kind of bear. Right. <laughs> that, that's an interesting aspect of this whole thing because what people have realized is that for less effort and 
less abuse, they can drive for Uber or deliver for DoorDash. I drove for Uber during the pandemic. Best couple of months of my life. I there had a, I had a wonderful experience. All you hear is the horror stories. I feel like, oh. And those are real. Those happen. Yes, and they do. But just like you said, I mean, like the little gig opportunities, you know, like the side hustle. It's not ideal, but you can make it work. I mean. Well, given the choice between that or standing behind the counter at Burger King and receiving the abuse from the customers who didn't get their Whopper exactly how they wanted it for basically slave wagery. Yeah. <laughs> but the, given the choice between that or driving for Uber and making your own hours and earning as much as you want to or as little as you want to and figuring it all out on your own, I think you can see why Burger King has that help wanted sign out yep. and is not getting the help that they want. That they need. Or that, that, or that they it need. Well, it, they're the, also the signs that, change from help wanted to help needed, like apply ASAP, like right. walk in and we'll probably hire you on the spot. Right, It's right. getting bad it, it, out there. It, it, yeah. So this is a transition that's happening and then it's it's been in the works for a long time. I grew up in the 50s and 60s, the 1950s and 60s. And yes, dinosaurs did rule the earth. My so dad, the 1900s, that's what, that's what my kids tell me the is. The 1900s, oh, I you love that. You were born in the 1900s. I'm like, okay, first of all, <laughs> That's disrespectful. You were born in the late 1900s. <laughs> Doesn't matter. The 1900s, it hurts. It really yeah. does. So I can only imagine how you feel. <laughs> well, we've got kids also that were born in the 21st century. And, and you know, how I feel about it is, is mixed. I love the fact that I experienced the 60s as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I have my, my coaster here is an album that I actually bought at a record store when it first came out. This is Jimi Hendrix's first album, Are You Experienced? <laughs> and I Where'd wore you get the out the grooves. I wore out the grooves on Purple Haze and Foxy Lady, learn how to play it on my guitar. Mm -hmm. But when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, my dad was an editor at Universal Studios, and that was his job. His job was sound effects editor. And he also did some film editing and he was trained in film editing. He went to film school at USC. He was a salaried employee of a large cor corporation, which at the time was Universal Studios and eventually became MCA Universal and is now God knows what Universal. But on his salary, he was able to afford to, he raised five kids. On the one income, they raised us in a middle-class neighborhood with a nice house, picket fence, yard, two cars, vacations. This was in North Hollywood, not far from Universal Studios. Still a very nice neighborhood. In fact, that house that I was raised in, I looked it up recently on the internet, that house is now worth $1.3 million. Absolutely not. My dad was what you would call middle management, although he was actually a worker, worker bee. He actually did the work of of cutting the sound effects in the TV shows. But th that sort of a job is considered middle management. And his salary was modest at the time. And he was able to afford that house. Today, those jobs don't exist. Mm -hmm. In fact, the very job that my dad did of a sound effects editor for a major studio does not exist. The major studios don't have any editing staff whatsoever anymore. It's all gig work. If they want an editor for a film or a TV show, they hire it out 
to contractors. Oh, wow. Like me, I do contract work in computer programming, right? I don't do very much of that anymore. I do this kind of stuff now. And I know a lot of my audience, those people who've taken my courses, are contract workers in programming. So the studio or the large company will hire the contract worker to do a particular job. They'll either pay them piecemeal by the amount of work that they complete, or they'll pay them hourly. And when the job is done, it's understood that that job is done and they're no longer going to be paid. All done. (laughs) They're, They're no longer going to be paid and they're no longer needed. And by having them as contract workers, they pay no benefits. So it's up to the employee to acquire their own health insurance through Obamacare or however it is they do it. I've been paying for my own health insurance for decades, and it is not cheap. Nope. So those jobs like my dad had that was able to provide like that for a family, they simply do not exist anymore. And at the same time, as those jobs have disappeared and the middle class has disappeared, and in my view, the middle class doesn't really exist anymore. You don't think so? Why is that? The way that my family lived when we were kids, what it takes to earn the kind of money to provide like that is not considered middle class anymore. If I were to try to provide for a family like that at that standard of living, I would have to earn, you know, in, in, today at least four or five hundred grand a year. Mm-hmm. In that neighborhood in LA, probably closer to a million. And nobody calls that middle class. The people who are earning what used to be considered middle class wages, which you know, adjusted for inflation today is about 50, 60,000 a year, they cannot afford a house and five kids and two cars and a stay-at-home mom. You can't do that on 50, 60,000 dollars a year today. So those people are either renting mm-hmm. or more commonly, they're living with another generation of their family. Mm-hmm. They're living with their parents, They're pooling their income. Maybe they're pooling their income with friends. Mm -hmm. So in my view, middle class has been gone for at least two or three decades. I don't think gone. I definitely think it's shifted. Just like with everything else, like the economy shifted. It's all in this transition. So while middle class isn't what it used to be, it's different So now I feel like middle class looks more like both parents need to work. Sometimes you, there's one vehicle that you have to share. Cause I feel like at one point or another, everybody's been in that situation. So while middle class isn't one income, five kids, three bedroom house, two cars, middle class still exists. And I say that because I feel like that's where, that's my jam. That's where I live. So you can redefine middle class. Mm-hmm. In my view, that's what you've done. You've redefined it to something else. Mm-hmm. And there is certainly another class that does not live as well as that. I, I don't like to say above and below because I know people in all different economic situations who are miserable. And I know people in all different economic situations who are happy. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, in in my view, that's the measure of quality of life is do I wake up every morning happy? And do I go to bed every night happy? And I don't think every, any of us that's every morning, but but more (laughs) often than not, do I wake up happy and do I go to bed happy? But until my generation, we always expected our kids to be better off than we were. My family three or four generations ago were immigrants many of them from Ukraine and fleeing the, the pogroms, which was the violence against Jews at that time. And 
they came here for the American dream. They got off the boat. They worked hard. They saved. They scrimped and saved. And their children were a little bit better off than they were. And their children were my parents' generation. And they went to war in World War II and came out with the GI Bill and were able to really build a nice a nice life for themselves. And they were way better off than their parents. And I do pretty well. And my siblings do pretty well. I wouldn't say we're better off than our parents, but we're at least as well off as our parents. And our kids are not. But the economy is changing. The economy is very, very different. And I don't want to make this sound like it's worse than it was. And I really don't, when I say that the middle class is gone, I don't mean to say that today is worse off than it was. Right. Or that our kids are worse off. But the situation is very different, and it's going to continue to change. Yeah. The hard part is still ahead of us. And I've seen this for a long time. And some of you may recognize the math pin that I'm wearing. That represents the campaign of Andrew Yang. He was the first politician in my lifetime who's ever really seen things the way that I see them. And I don't agree with all of the way that he sees it, but in terms of general economics and in terms of, of where we're going as an economy and as a people, he really hit the nail on the head as I see it. So I've grown up in the era of computerization. And when I was a kid in the 50s and 60s, computers were these things that nobody actually saw them and they were all in buildings with like... You know, lots yeah, of, didn't like the first computer take up like an entire oh, sure. room? I mean, or? the early computers were really, really big. Yeah. And over time, they've gotten smaller. They've gotten lower power. I built my first computer in 1972 from a microprocessor that I got through the mail from Intel. It was a 4004, a 4-bit microprocessor. 1K of memory that was ferrite beads and little wires that I had to wind myself. Oh, my. And toggle switches and incandescent lights with solenoids and eventually LEDs. And over the years since then, computers have gotten smaller and more powerful to the point where I have on my wrist a computer that's more powerful than some of the early supercomputers from the 70s. Yeah. Along the way with all of this innovation and miniaturization and advancement in technology, automation has made a lot of jobs, in some cases obsolete entirely. And over time, most of the jobs that we would consider menial jobs, jobs that nobody really necessarily wants to do, like serving up the hamburgers at Burger King, that doesn't require a person anymore. And over time, those jobs will disappear. And when we finally figure out autonomous cars, taxis will disappear. You're Buses. really stuck on the on the I want my flying cars. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's been brought up every conversation. Oh, goodness. In time, a huge amount of our economy is going to shift away from work done by humans to work done by machines. And this was the promise of technology. This, right. was always, this is supposed to be a good thing. And that's supposed to be a good thing. It's been estimated that something like 60 to perhaps 70 or 80% of all of the humans who are doing jobs today, those jobs that they do will not exist at some point in our not too distant future. So what does this say about the economy? Because the economy as it's set up today, everything is attached to the work that you do. 
And if there aren't paying jobs available for all of the people who, in my view, have a right to exist and to live and to be happy and to wake up most mornings happy and go to bed most evenings happy, what happens to those people when there are no longer jobs for them to do? So we're in this transition today. Where we are today in this transition is that we no longer feel the need to go to work at Burger King. Jobs like my dad had as an editor at Universal, those jobs no longer exist. A lot of this has been shifted to what we call gig work. And so when I see people today asking me, I've just learned programming or I'm learning programming because it excites me and I know that it's the future, now how do I get a job? My answer to them is, you probably don't want a job. What you want is a way to exchange your talent, skills, and abilities for sustenance and security for yourself and your family, whatever that looks like. So to, in today's term and in economic terms, that means exchanging your services for an income, and that's what we call gig work. We've seen the big technology companies, we call them the FANG companies, why? Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Okay, is that, that like a, is that an is all-knowing thing? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, you're, you, you, you've been Behind living under cur- a rock. Yes, I have. <laughs> and now you've brought me into this wonderful studio. Under the rock? That was just called Texas. That's just what they call it down there. <laughs> Come on, guys. I know that some of those companies have offices in in Texas, mostly in Austin, which, you know, isn't really Texas proper, is it? Austin is like this little liberal oasis in the middle of... The Red Sea. (laughs) This guy knows. So a lot of those fang companies are right now, as we record this, laying off workers and have hiring freezes. So my students who are learning programming from me, they can't go and knock on the door of those companies and get a job. Instead, what's going to happen is that those companies are going to put out ads that they're looking for contractors to do specific gigs. Right. With that being a part of the transition right now, do you believe that this gig work is something that's sustainable? For the foreseeable future, it it is sustainable. A lot of my students aren't going to like what I'm going to say next, but I believe that the job of programmer will be mostly eliminated by automation sometime within the next 50 years. I don't see it on the horizon in the next 10 years. I really don't see it on the horizon in the next 20 or 30 years. But at some point, we're going to be able to say, computer, make me a program that... X, Y, Z. And I'll describe the program. And the computer will, probably with Majel Barrett's voice, say... (laughs) She was the voice of the computers on Star Trek. So do you have (laughs) any advice or words of wisdom for said students that don't oh, like absolutely. what you have to say. Absolutely. And, and you know, if we want to stay on that subject, I'm going to say that the best way to get good gig work, good paying gig work, is to build up a por- portfolio. And there's this catch-22 of how do I build a portfolio yes. without the work. And the way that you do that is you assign yourself problems to solve. Love that. And you solve those problems and you put them in your portfolio. You can create an app and put it on the app stores, or you can just write the damn thing and say, you know, I wrote it and here it is, and here's how it works, and here's here's the problems that I encountered, and here's how I solved those problems, and here's the quality of the code that I'm writing. 
you can create a YouTube channel, you can create a TikTok channel, you can promote yourself, you can say, hey, look, here I am doing this thing, hey, here it is that it's done. Uh, you can create a blog, you can create a podcast, and you can do all of this stuff really with very little expense and very little resources required. So this is the transition that I see is happening now. And the pandemic has accelerated this transition because during the lockdown, a lot of us were able to realize that we don't need to be beholden to that job. And, you know, the, the downside of that for the employers, of course, is that they're having trouble finding people to fill those jobs in order for them to survive they're going to need to figure out how to provide employment that actually provides a measure of satisfaction, how to protect your employees from uh, being assaulted by customers to being uh, you know assaulted by coworkers. And this is a lot of that stuff that the right wing tends to deride as woke. In my view, woke is a really good thing. We want to create a world where everybody feels safe and appreciated and happy. I don't know if I've said this before on this podcast. My politics is help more people hurt fewer people. And it all really falls into that. If we can, through our kindness, learn to use the pronouns that our children want us to use. <laughs> if we can, through our kindness, learn to stop dead naming our children. Even unless I changed my name you know, years ago, most of my family still refuses to call me Bear. And in today's world, that's called dead naming. So treat each other with respect, treat each other with kindness. And in doing so, I think we can find a way to build this world. There's one other part of this that, that I haven't really touched on. Once all of these jobs are gone from automation, how do we care for, and again, you know, there's that thing, how do we do the most benefit for the most number of people and the least amount of harm to the fewest number of people? And the answer to that, there is only one answer to that, and that is basic income. And we, we see in science fiction this idea uh, I recently read the Expanse novels. I love reading series of novels. And in the, the universe of the Expanse, there are people who are on what they call basic, which means that the government will provide you enough to live on, enough to put a roof over your head, clothes on your back, you know, clean water, food to eat, you know, all the things that you need, just the basic necessities, not luxuries, not excess, but just enough to get by. And if we all had that, how many people would quit their jobs? If we all had that, you know, how many people would mm -hmm. quit their jobs that are abusing them and find a way to follow the passion in their life and turn that passion into some sort of an income above that basic because everybody gets the basic, right? The basic is universal. Everybody, rich, poor, there's no means testing. And I was, we were talking earlier about the stay-at-home mom, the stay-at-home caregiver. Now their value is no longer zero. Their value is now whatever that basic right. is. And it's not that we're valuing the person as that, but we're valuing the their work. work it's not, it's the not a nine to five. You don't get to... You don't get that time in the morning to get yourself ready and really the don't. commute to work. And like some people despise their commutes to work, but as somebody who has been a stay-at-home parent, yeah. I would have given my right arm for a commute to drive in silence, you know, to to meditate for the morning, to get ready for the day. Whereas yeah. as that stay-at-home parent, 
you live, eat, breathe, your life is not yours. And that's okay. Some people well, thrive that's the gig. and some I people mean, that's, love it. That's the, <laughs> that's the gig, that's baby. That's the gig. The, 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 the challenge is that that gig doesn't come with a salary and benefits. Correct. And no so breaks. The, no. the idea of universal basic income, the idea of universal health care, these are, in, in my view, the basic bare necessities, the minimum that a, a modern government should be doing for their people. And as these jobs more and more disappear, and as that 60, 70, 80% of the workforce finds themselves without a way to exchange their work for a salary, uh, sure, there'll there'll still be some gig work, but even a lot of that gig work, I mean, Uber's not going to last past self-driving cars. <laughs> this is where I see our economy going, is to a place where people are going to be more free to pursue their dreams and their yes. passions. And I'm so glad you said that because I genuinely believe, and maybe this is like the artist in in me and less of the, you know, wife, mom, caretaker, you know, get the bills paid. But I truly believe that, you know, people are born, they grow up, they go to school, they get a job, then they die. Like, I feel like that's, that's it. And that's what we've been set up to do. But I truly believe that it doesn't have to be like that. You can love what you do. You can be happy in in this right here, like this is a literal dream come true for me. Ricky is making heart signs. She's going like this, which is, yeah. <laughs> the K-pop hearts. <laughs> and I try to convince myself, I try to convince everybody around me, like this, this can happen. You can love what you do. You can wake up every morning and be happy. And I had so many people around me saying it doesn't work like that <laughs> that it, that's well, not, not how its own this works doesn't. i mean you do have to make that happen and and even and you do even basic yes. income won't change that you're going to still need to get up in the morning and do whatever it is the thing right. that you need to do to to acquire whatever the skills are to be able to do the thing that you dream about i've been blessed in my life in that I found something early on that just really excited mm -hmm. me and that i was able to exchange that for a living mm -hmm. and you know, my only my only hope is for everybody to have that, or at least most people. And to I have think that's that. the positive of this transition is because people are starting to realize that they don't need those jobs. That the jobs are better off without them. Yeah, they've <laughs> got the the help needed exactly. sign. But that's I feel like, you know, when it comes down to it, when it boils down to it, people are starting to find out they can do what they love. They can be happy and they can provide for themselves, their families, whatever it is that they need in their life. And if what makes you happy, if that thing that makes you happy, that brings you joy is raising children mm -hmm. or caring for your parents or caring for the elderly in some way, you should be paid for that too. Agreed. And you should be able to do that with joy and feel the security of knowing that you wake up every morning and you've got food on the on the table for your kids. You're able to get them the clothes they need for school. Mm -hmm. You're able to drive them or put them in the self-driving car uh, to get them <laughs> to their appointments. <laughs> I'm not going to give up on this. I thing. know. I feel like that's just going to be one of those reoccurring themes. And we're just going to be like, okay, bear, go off. <laughs> All right. So 
In conclusion, Ooh. I don't know how, I don't, you know, there's an old expression in music, and I started out as a musician and wanting to be a composer, and then I discovered that I could earn a good living with computers. But Nerd. There's an expression in music, the hardest thing for the composer to do is to start the orchestra and to stop the orchestra. These are the two hardest things for the composer to do. And I'm finding the same thing in doing these podcasts. I could just go on and on and mm -hmm. on, and I don't really know how to draw it to a close. So in conclusion, our, our economy is in transition. I saw it coming. I don't know why you didn't. <laughs> wow, we alienate your audience with the whole I'm better than you shtick. <laughs> Come on, tone it down. He said, I don't know why you didn't. We can't. You can prosper during the transition. Mm -hmm. And let's just hope that we elect leaders who can see past the end of their own nose to see what's coming and what's needed in order to provide for the collective family of the country and of the world in order to take care of us through this next phase when automation takes over and a lot of these jobs go away. So you're saying the machines are gonna take over Terminator style? Skynet, baby. Okay, well, there you have it, <laughs> folks. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> tell your friends, tell your family. Grab your wife, grab All your right. kids. <laughs> we love you. All done. Bye. This podcast is copyright 2023 by the Bearheart Group, LLC. Bearheart Labs is a brand of the Bearheart Group, and our podcasts are produced at our studios here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Our podcast producer is Rickiana Denning, a.k.a. Ricky. Our co-host and hardworking administrator is Kirsten Hilgendorf, and I'm Bearheart. On behalf of all of us here at Bearheart Labs, thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope to have you back again soon. Mm -hmm.